friends, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I am Nika Spaulding, and I am joined in the Blue with my good friend Alex Wilkes. Hey, guys. And if you don't recognize that voice, that's the voice of the woman who once said she didn't like rich kids. So <laughs> there you go. Um, well, normally I uh, am going to be the interviewer, typically, and I have an interviewee, but today we're actually going to switch gears. And so today's topic, as you'll hear, is going to be all about immigration. But um, I'm the subject of this interview this time, and so I'm going to kick it over to Alex and let her be host today. So take it away, Alex. Hopefully I can fill the shoes. They're size 10 in case anyone's wondering. (laughs) Um, All right. So immigration's a hot topic lately. Seems very politicized. Um, It's in the news a lot. We hear a lot about what's going on in El Paso um, at the border, and so... Um, I'm excited to learn from you today as you have spent time recently in El Paso at the border, learning, seeing firsthand what's going on, hearing testimony, um, and so excited to hear from you um, in relation to this specific topic. So why don't you start by just telling us why you why you even went to El Paso? Yeah, that's good. Um, it, a lot of it's what you just said, so I think that Uh, Being a Christian, I feel like it's my responsibility to know what's going on in the world because I believe that we have a global faith, one that impacts more than just our current city and our current country, but also the world. And so I take seriously in the creed when we say we belong to one holy Catholic apostolic church and Catholic, of course, being, you know, universal, this idea of a global church. And so having read as much as I felt like I could to finally get my hands around it, I feel like the best way for me to really understand what's going on at the border is just to go just to go see for myself. And so Mm -hmm. when the opportunity was available through uh, a group called We Welcome, it was something uh, that actually you saw, I don't know if you remember this, you saw it on your social media accounts and said, hey, you need to look into this and apply. So I said, yeah, I need need to go. I need to go and hear Mm -hmm. for myself, see for myself, ask the questions that I need to ask and hopefully be able to bear witness to what I'm seeing down there. Is it as bad as they say it is? Is it not as bad? Is it, you know, and hopefully move it out of the political sphere and into the ministry sphere into the Christian sphere. And so that's why I went. That's awesome. I'm glad I'm glad you got to go. It was an exciting thing when I saw them advertise it and realized as a school employee, I couldn't really take time off in September. So um, share with us kind of what you learned as you were there. Yeah. Um, well, we'll get into the particulars, I think, right? Is that the plan? So yeah, not, yeah, just in general. Yeah, in general. Overall impressions. Yeah, that's good. Overall, I think if I were to pick one word, to describe the border, I'd say um, maybe messy is the right word or complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the reality is is when you when you jump into some situations, there seems to be a couple of push and pull factors, and you can kind of understand them and then be, get your mind around what is the problem. And the problem with immigration is it is an ever evolving problem with different different situations probably happen. So let me give you guys an example. Uh, Ten years ago, the most most typically what would happen is it would be a single male coming to the border looking for asylum in order to find work. Typically, he'd be Mexican. Mm-hmm. That was 10 years ago. Now it's folks from Central America. It's yeah. predominantly families. Overwhelmingly, it's families or unoccupied children. Mm-hmm. And um, even that term, unoccupied children, we think of that as like, gosh, do they have any adult with them? Well, sometimes they do, but unless it's a biological parent, that's considered an unoccupied child. So mm. me as an aunt, you know, there's nothing that would stand between me and, and safety for my nieces and nephew. And so yeah. if I had to go to Oklahoma and grab them and take them somewhere to make them safe, like, I, you, and then to find out the place I'm trying to get to doesn't see me as, you know, their guardian in that moment is is really difficult. And that's why we have separation. Um mm. 
we had a no tolerance policy not too long ago as a country. And what that did is it separated families from their children. And so 2,500 children were separated in that moment. We realized the folly of that and came back and said, hey, we shouldn't do this. We won't bring them back together. There's still 250 kids, so to speak, missing, right? So to speak, gone. Now, Mm. that's even a complicated thing because some of those kids are not necessarily missing. But how do you lose 250 kids, right? Yeah. Um, There are... The asylum laws that we currently use today were built after World War II. So we're talking about laws that came around in the 40s in light of, sadly, what we know about what happened in World War II, where so many Jewish folks were fleeing persecution. They went to places outside of Europe. They went to Australia. They went to America, and we turned them away. And then after the war, we went in and we saw what was happening in these concentration camps, and we said, this should never be. We should have a process Well, the process that you have in place in the 40s is obviously going to be vastly different than the process you have in place in 2019. And so that's also what's difficult is you're constantly reforming a system that really probably needs a major overhaul. Um, And then you also have just issues of where folks are coming from, why they're fleeing. Uh, And so it is... um, it's complicated. It's complicated. I'll give an example of just like a recent, so like a recent policy change, which is, so one of the things I didn't realize about asylum seekers is all you have to physically do in order to claim asylum is you have to get your feet on American soil at either a port of entry or at a border Mm -hmm. and then tell a border patrol agent, hey, I want to claim asylum. And then Mm -hmm. there's an asylum process. Mm -hmm. Well, 10 years ago, that meant Okay, your feet hit the border. You told a border patrol agent. They took your information. They sent you wherever in the United States you had a sponsor. So somebody could sponsor you, a family, a friend, a church, somebody. Mm-hmm. And then you could begin to live your life in America. And then you would need to go to your asylum hearings. 96% of those people went to their asylum hearings. So this wasn't like we had this huge wow. problem where people were just disappearing, where we didn't know where they were. Now, 4%, you know, if you're... If, if you're entirely fearful, sure, 4% might seem like a lot, but overwhelmingly, these, these asylum seekers didn't want to live in the shadows. They wanted to legally come into the country. Mm-hmm. Well, now we have what's called a Remain in Mexico policy, which says if you want to claim asylum, great. Rather than crossing over into America like you used to do, you're going to remain in Mexico, and then you're going to wait on your asylum dates. Well, if the majority of people are coming from Mexico, that may not be a problem, right? You might have some Mexican family. You might have people you can stay with. Well, What happens when you're from Central America and then you get to the border and it's you have to remain in Mexico? The border towns are historically dangerous. We see this all the time. Yeah. Um, In fact, days before I crossed the border into Juarez, somebody had come into one of the detention or one of the migrant shelters and and robbed them at gunpoint. Mm -hmm. And and what people don't realize is that Mexicans sometimes have a little bit of xenophobia towards Central Americans. So you have Americans who don't want these Central Americans. And now you've got Mexicans that don't want these Central Americans. And what you have are people who have taken the harrowing journey to travel miles and miles and miles because they believe they would be given the opportunity that people 10 years ago were given yeah. and the laws can change. And how do you learn about that on the way, right? It's not like you're Googling this stuff and right. it's not like you're an expert in American asylum policy, you know, especially most of these folks don't speak English. Some of them don't even speak Spanish. Some of them are from mountain towns that speak, you know, um, like, languages that are maybe like a little bit more remote you know yeah. and so i think i don't i think it was guatemala i'll have to check it but it was something like there was 50 different recognized languages there wow. and, and it's just because it's indigenous yeah that's right and it, yeah and so that's like a brief brief messy situation that we're that we're dealing with at the border and so it's um, I'm a doer. I'm an achiever. I like to accomplish things. And I'm literally the whole time I was like, how can I help? Mm-hmm. And I just came to the conclusion, I'll just become a, a smuggler and smuggle people. So. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Contact Nike if you want to host someone she smuggles. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, that's great. I think the word you chose to use sounds very fitting based on what you're already sharing. So um, I would love to hear from you as someone who couldn't go to the border, speaking to someone who could see what you saw and learn what you learned. Um, I feel like what I read in the news is so polarized and there's a lot of what might be misconceptions about what's going on at the border. So would you um, just kind of speak to the misconceptions we have about um, I feel like I've heard a lot of stories about who's coming into the country. You know, it's yeah. bad guys, it's drug dealers, it's people who are yeah. smuggling things into the country and um, what it's like in the detention centers and what it's like dealing with Border Patrol. And then um, you've kind of already talked a little bit about the asylum process, but I don't know that I really understand what that looks like. So would you talk to some of those misconceptions yeah. that people might have? Yeah, so who's coming, right? Um, I think... Um, one of the things that we have to be careful about, I think, and I'm, I'll, you know, I'll just be really honest here, and I think this is a political statement; it's not intended to be, but I think people have this idea because of the rhetoric in the news that these are people that are looking for a freeloading way, that these are people that are, or they're just trying to pursue the American dream. And I think what they're seeing in the asylum process is it's families that are coming from the central, like the Northern Triangle is the area that we call the North and the Central America, and so that's uh, Honduras. Guatemala and El Salvador. Those three countries shortages, they just kind of share the honor of who has the most homicides each year. I mean, it's an incredibly, yeah, dangerous place to live. Mm. You have drug cartel, you have gang members, and you have the opportunity to either... So so one of the stories that my group didn't hear, but another group heard was there was a gentleman who he and his brother saw a young girl being assaulted. Mm -hmm. And so they stepped in to stop it. Well, the person that was assaulting the young girl was a gang member. So then there was a a bounty on their life, right? People were coming to kill them. Well, he's a father of young kids. But it became very apparent to their family, if he stays, he's going to die, so he has to leave. So he left his family. Hmm. And he doesn't, and he left his family because he was saving another child. Yeah. And you would think, you know, those are the kind of people that you would want to celebrate. Those are the kind of people. And so I think this idea that they're lazy, that they're drug lords, that they're rapists, that they're murderers, some of the rhetoric we've heard in our in our newspapers, it, it's just, it's really unfair. Now, part of the messiness. Yes, are there bad people trying to cross the border? Absolutely. Absolutely. And part of what the bad people do, you have this term called a coyote, and really they're just, they're human traffickers, they're smugglers. And so what a coyote might do is grab 200 people and say, okay, you guys all want to get to America? I will help you. They, they charge them some exorbitant extortion amount of money bring them to the to the border, and then that coyote has them all go overwhelm one Border Patrol agent, and then while that Border Patrol agent is dealing with 200 people that are just families looking for a better life and a life void of violence, a life void of yeah. you know danger, that's when they use that opportunity to then cross the border. And so mm. there are certainly bad folks. There are. But that is the significant minority. And, and we have Border Patrol that are working on those things. And so seeking asylum and then just trying to cross the border are two very different things. Mm, that's a good distinction. Um, and so I think people have to keep that in mind. And so the folks that are coming, putting their heels on our on our soil and saying, I want to seek asylum, and they're showing credible proof that they're being harmed in their home country, I think we need to take that seriously. One of the things that um, 
the Jeff Sessions, when he was the attorney general, did, is he removed some of the stipulations that counted for credible violence. And so domestic abuse is no longer one of them. Mm. And so you think about a woman who is being Mm. beaten by her husband Mm. and her children are in danger, and she would like to come to America where she has some family, that no longer counts. Mm. And so we really have to consider what is it that, what is a good enough reason to call this person a neighbor, right? And I think those are questions that we have to ask ourselves. Um, like, likewise, depending on which side of the political spectrum you're on, you hear all these crazy things about Border Patrol and how they're all horrible. Certainly what didn't help them was that ProPublica piece that you might remember where they were writing all kinds of racist things on that private Facebook yeah. page. And, yeah. um, and look, here's what I'd say. Uh, this is not an excuse for their behavior. That is unholy. That's unrighteous. Um, there should have been consequences for that. And we were told that some folks were terminated in light of the, mm-hmm. the findings. Um, but just to give you like a reference point, though, you've got in the city of New York City, which is a fairly large city, I've heard, you know, somewhat. <laughs> few people there. Few people there. There's 35,000 police officers in New York City. Mm. In order to cover the northern border of Canada, the southern border, which, you know, the whole southern border, and then the port of entries on the coast, there's only 18,000 Border Patrol agents. Oh, and wow. they're dealing with an influx of families all the time. And yeah. so you've got folks that are overworked, I would argue underpaid. Um, you've got them working long shifts. You have them working with folks who are bringing in lots of diseases because they're sick from the journey. And so mm. they get sick. Uh, and they and then they're vilified in the news, right? And so do I think that every single Border Patrol agent is evil? No, no. Do I think they're overworked and underpaid? Yes. Do I think when you're overworked and underpaid and you're dealing with a primary group of folks that you're frustrated with over and over again, it can bring out the worst in humans? Yes. Um, am I grateful for the job they do? Yes. I I think the problem, like if I were if I were queen for the day, if I were president, mm-hmm. I think immediately what we need to have in place is a is a completely different system to help with asylum seekers. Mm. Our border patrol agents are not trained for that. Yeah. And so it's like asking a police officer to do your trauma counseling. It's like they're yeah. not they're not trained for that. Yeah. And so they're undertrained, they're overworked, they're tired. And so I think we're asking them to do something that 10 years ago they wouldn't have had to do. And so I am empathetic to that. I really am. And so yeah. I was one of the things that surprised me was how empathetic I was, you know, because I read some of the news and Yeah. yeah. Um so I think in the news, if you're reading it and you're like, gosh, it feels like these Border Patrol agents are just the worst, um, I, I would I would lean toward cutting them a little bit of slack, I think. Where I would not cut anyone's slack is the detention centers. And what people don't realize is the detention centers are different than Border Patrol. So the Border Patrol just processes them. And then the, mm-hmm. the question was, well, then where do we put them? And the yeah. administration made the choice, let's create these detention centers, let's create. Okay. And those are for-profit. They are... Uh, What's amazing to me is we sat with a couple of different migrant folks, and the journey to get from Central America to the United States is harrowing. It's something like 80% of women are sexually assaulted along the way. Mm. And we heard stories about moms giving their children, their daughters, birth control just to prevent an unwanted pregnancy. Mm. We heard stories of on Facebook Live women being raped in order to extort money from their family back home. Right. So when people are like, oh, these people are lazy, they just want to come here and have a good life, I'm like, do you realize what they're risking to get here? What? How bad mm. does it have to be? To be willing to make that journey. That, yeah. Yeah. And so they do that. And then what was so shocking to them, they, they tell these harrowing journeys, these migrants do, of how they, you know, got to the border. And their tones completely changed when they talked about the detention center and how poorly they were treated mm. and what they were called. 
and how it was disorienting and how one of the gen- one of the gentlemen he didn't he was there 19 days the first 12 days he wasn't allowed to brush his teeth or bathe and and being and they were like you know you start to learn racist terms in English because you hear them so often and then somebody tells you what it means and mm. and so there is um Uh, If you haven't listened to my Amos podcast, I think God has a certain way about that. He feels a certain way about that. And I think we should agree with him about that. Absolutely. And so regardless of how you feel about the immigration policy, if we have gotten to the point where we are treating people who have committed no crimes, it is not a crime to come to America and claim asylum. To treat them like that is... um, is it is not it is not fitting for a Christian to be okay with that. I'll just say it. It's just I don't care what they've, you know, they're... They do not deserve that sort of treatment. And so mm. um, so that's that. And then the asylum process in general, yeah. I mean, I, I just think the things, the misconceptions, I think people think, okay, so if you're – I think people think or what I hear people say all the time is why don't they just come legally or why don't they just, like, do it the way that they're supposed yeah. to. And I've heard that too. Yeah, and I think what's hard about that is, you know, again, the processes have changed so much. There's – there's a very narrow legal way to get here. So what makes it challenging is a couple of things. One, so like I said, all you have to do is get your feet on the border or feet on American soil and claim asylum. Well, at ports of entry, which are like the bridges, let's say the bridge from Juarez to El Paso, that's mm-hmm. a port of entry. So you'd walk up to a border patrol agent and say, hey, I'm going to claim asylum. Well, now they've done this thing called metering, which says we will only hear so many asylum seekers a day. So if you're the if you want to come claim asylum, you got to be one of the first five people or one of the first ten people or whatever. You can't just come freely. And so what that what that does is folks who can't seem to get to claim asylum because we're limiting the amount of people. You know they've started on their journey. They often have young kids with them, and they're running out of money, and they're living on a border town away from their home. And so I you probably remember seeing the the photo of the the dad and his yeah. daughter. Yeah, I mean. So the reason why those things are happening is you get desperate. Yeah. And so instead of waiting for the bridge because it's not working because there's metering, you go, okay, we're going to try and cross somewhere else. And depending on where you're at, the Rio Grande can be a really torturous place to try and cross. Now, there are some places when you're like that, you know, I can, I don't have to swim and I can walk yeah. it, you know. But, but there are places, depending on where you happen to be, that you would go, I just have to get to the border. We're, we're getting desperate. Yeah. Um, and so I think... I think people forget just how harrowing and difficult it is to even make that journey. And so when people are like, why don't they just do it the legal way? Well, they're trying. One of the other things that we learned is if you don't have a lawyer, you basically have like a 0% chance of, of getting your asylum case proved. So, you wow. know, what's difficult is on this trip that I take is, you know, we went and we learned all this stuff about the asylum process and we learned about how difficult it is to, to win your case. And then we, and then we cross over to Juarez and then we talk to migrants who mm. still deeply trust the Lord they deeply love the Lord, and they're hopeful that they're going to win their case. And the realist in me is sitting there going, you're not going to win your case. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's pain. That's why I started deciding I was going to be a human smuggler. And so, <laughs> you know, there's that's people hard. that want to be reunited with their loved ones. And what's hard is, like, one gentleman, his wife had already made it to America because we hadn't changed the law. She had left a couple of years earlier, and he was making money. And so if you have, if you happen to have a wealthy family, if you happen to have a way to get a lawyer. Um, if you get a lawyer, your chances go up by like 80% or something like that. It's something crazy by right? just having a lawyer. Because obviously, who what what migrant is up to date on their immigration policy reform and law, right? right? Which of them can even speak English to defend themselves, right? So you understand how difficult it would be. Well, now you get a lawyer whose only job is to help you get in. Um, 
But even then, you know, there's there's like NPR did a story about a judge in Louisiana. She's been an immigration judge for 10 years. She's not approved a single case. And, and I'm like, man, I find that hard to believe that in 10 years you haven't found one credible person who deserves to, to live here. And so yeah. I think that's what's hard is when people are like, why can't they just come the legal way? Why are they overwhelming the system? I think we don't take seriously what's going on back home because I don't think anyone would leave their homes unless it was that bad. Um, and then, frankly, like, I'm just going to be real honest with y'all. If you really keep up with your American history, uh, America created some of the instability that we're seeing in Central America. And so if you really look at your history books, we didn't love the movement of communism and socialism yeah. back in the 60s and earlier. And so we inserted ourselves into their problems and we created a vacuum of leadership, which was then filled by cartel leaders and things mm-hmm. like that. So I'm, I'm just going to be real honest with y'all. If we created the problem, I believe we need to fix it. So... Um, and I don't know that this fixing it necessarily means they come here. I think um, I think the global church needs to take seriously our job at creating aid for places like Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, yeah. fill in the blank, Middle East, wherever. And mm-hmm. so um, I don't think we get to wag our pretty fingers as Americans and think that our hands are, are not clean. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. That's It's helpful to have... Um, real examples behind those things that we're hearing and um, speaking to those things that we're seeing in the news a lot. So that's helpful. Um, I guess learning all that, I'm sort of sitting here going, okay, then what's a Christian response to this? Like, what do, what do I do yeah. um, as a believer and a sister to these brothers and sisters at the border dealing with this? What's, what's my part? Yeah. So um, I think, so the first the first one I'd say is, gosh, not everybody can go to El Paso. So I get that. Um, yeah. So I want to point y'all to, to places that are Christian-based organizations that are doing their best to educate and keep people activated in this. And so one is We Welcome and Seek the Peace. So We Welcome is specifically um, actually a group for women. This is a group I went with, and they are consistently updating all of their resources to say, hey, here's the the newest policy, here's the latest news. Um, They're able to start conversations. They have Facebook pages. They have Instagram pages. I don't know if they have a Twitter. But I would say there are organizations, Christian-led organizations that are on the forefront of these things. There are ministries in El Paso, like Ciudad Nueva and Ibarra and... um, I mean, I could I could probably list several of these that you could get involved in. Rondell Trevino is a guy who tries to keep up on all this stuff. He's got an institute. The AND campaign is another one. So I'd say, like, in educating ourselves, sometimes it's hard because it feels like there's a divide in our country between Fox News and CNN. And I'll just yeah. tell you all, you know, depending on which one you watch, they might hear a very different story. Mm. And, frankly, they're often politicized. And I think yeah. that we have to have a better Christian response to these things. And yeah. so... I'd say find the Christian organizations that care about this, that have people on the front lines and that are communicating as truly as they as they can. Secondly, I, I'm just going to be real honest with y'all. I am discouraged by uh, the language that I hear from Christians around this issue toward our our toward the people that are seeking asylum. And so um, I, I am of the ilk, y'all, that I am not afraid as a Christian that I'm going to be persecuted in America. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think if Hillary Clinton had won, I'd be in a, like, bunker right now. I'm just not, guys. I um, I think that on the left, so to speak, there's lots of deeply religious and faithful people. I, I also, I just am not one to fear. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I say all that to say, I think sometimes in 
there's, I think there can be an idolatry of safety in the American evangelical church that then causes us to want to insulate and protect our own. And in doing so, we say it's to keep from Christians being persecuted, right? We're going to take back Christmas. We're going to take back sexuality. We're going to take back, like, we're sick of these things in our schools and all that. And I just got, I mean, the irony of that is tragic that honestly, the people who are being persecuted at the border are Christians. Hmm. Every migrant we met with loved Jesus. Every migrant we met with loved Jesus. And the people that are ministering down there, they love Jesus. You know who opened up their homes when all these Central American migrants got stopped at the border and they couldn't cross? And most Mexicans don't particularly care to have Central Americans in their church. You know who picked them up? The churches. Hmm. All these Mexican churches said, okay, you are our brothers and sisters, even though you don't come from our country, even though you don't necessarily look like us and talk like us, which I know they share the same language, but I mean, like, it's like they're different and yet they're different other in the sense that they take seriously the fact that Jesus says we're going to knock down the dividing wall of hostility. They take seriously Mm -hmm. the fact that Jesus says you and I, like you guys are to be one as the father and I are one. They take seriously what Jesus is saying in the upper room and what he's saying at garden of Gethsemane. They take seriously that there's neither Jew nor Gentile slave, nor female, nor female. We are all one in Christ. And I, to, to be complacent or unmoved when somebody would call an image bearer with no grounding, a rapist, a murderer, or whatever, or these these bad hombres or these people from, you know, I shouldn't cuss on here, but shithole countries, like, that that is untenable for a Christian, guys. And so I'm just telling you, if you're getting your news from places that would speak of God's image bearers in ways that are untrue yeah. and would seek to diminish their honor and dignity, mm. then that is not Christian. Yeah. So look, do I want safe borders? You bet. Yeah. You bet. Do I want drugs in the inner city? No. Yeah. No. My family has been rocked by drug abuse. Like, I don't want those things in my country. Yeah. I, I don't want bad people, so to speak, in my country. However, the idolatry of safety cannot say out of the fear of that, I would say no to my brothers and sisters who are at the door knocking. Yeah. Or the fear of that would say, hey, I'm going to diminish someone's value so I feel less bad about them not being able to be my neighbor. And so I think a Christian response is to say, look, our language around this has to be a lot better. That if your language in talking about migrants and refugees and those seeking asylum is denigrating or it's devaluing them in any way, then that is not Christian rhetoric, period. It's something, but it ain't Christian, and it's it doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. Um, so I think that, I think, yeah, so I think educate yourself. I think watch your tongue, watch your mouth, folks. And then I think, uh, I think truly, I mean, prayer is, um, mm. is, I find myself as a pastor more and more saying, people, we really got to pray because I think we're going to need a cosmic revolution here. Mm. Um, it'd be foolish to think that, uh, with the, I think sometimes we think politically or socially we can fix these problems easily and really what we need is we need our hearts softened to the mm-hmm. plight of those around us and yeah. so I would pray I'd pray for our leaders I know right now like I know today as we're recording this the our, the United States government is trying to decide on how many refugees we should allow in the refugee resettlement situation and we have been a country that has brought your poor your tired your huddled masses and now we might be the country that says no and I, I just find that to be untenable in the Christian position mm. And so I think that's it. And then and then I would just say, guys, you, you know, um, voting does matter, though. I just said, hey, it's not going to it's not going to work without the Lord. So I think prayer is going to trump that. Yeah. You know, I think you've got to pray first. But um, 
I don't think people realize how much the executive branch has control over these particular policies. They appoint judges. They appoint the people in charge. They can very quickly swipe a pen and then things change for asylum seekers. So something that two years ago was fine isn't fine today. And so yeah. I, I'm, and so you might you, th- you might think I'm saying subtext, like don't vote for Trump again. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is at every level, especially those of you that live in border states like Texans, like we got to really think about these things. Like what, you know, what are our policies? How do we how do we do that? And then I would just say if you are if you are moved and you're a lawyer, then I'd say consider doing pro bono asylum casework. If you are a doctor, I'd say partner with folks to go to the detention centers and see what you can do. If you yeah. are. Um, if you are a pastor, I would say, you know, mobilize your church to, you know, raise funds to send them down there. If you and if you just don't know, then I'd say do what I did and go down there. Um, and yeah. so in wherever you're at in that, guys, I, I. And this is not so cheesy, but I think it's true. You know, I spend most of my life talking and caring about justice. And I was born on the same day as Martin Luther King Jr. I think that has formed me and shaped me in some formidable ways. Um I remember writing book reports about it when I was young, and I remember thinking, I cannot believe that there were people like me who didn't care or um, were outright racist and antagonistic. And I think many of you listening, if you're outright racist and antagonistic, you've stopped listening or you're already drafting an email with all the ways (laughs) to tell me to shut up. And I'm used to those. Like, that's fine. Send them anyways. They're interesting. They're entertaining. I don't care what you think. It's the middle ground. It's the folks who deeply love the Lord. It's the folks that are discipling their children at night and they care about children and they care about life and they call themselves pro-life and they, they do care about their neighbors. They do see that there's a racial rec- you know racial reconciliation. Where, like That's who I'm talking to right now and I'm telling y'all, we have a huge problem at the border mm-hmm. and it's messy and it's complicated, but I want to push you beyond your comfort zone. That if you're only concerned about your neighbor that's immediately to the left of you, I think you've misunderstood the Good Samaritan story. And I think your neighbor and your unity is to the to the global church. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to take that seriously. And yeah. so, um, as Martin Luther King would say, it's always the moderate white that he would always find um, most alarming. And I, I don't think, sadly, much has changed and since his day. And so mm-hmm. I, I want to be on the right side of history. Um, but more importantly, I want to be on the right side of the cross. And mm-hmm. I think too many times we are more concerned with being safe than we are to dying to self. Mm. And um, I know that comes, I know I'm single. I know I don't have kids. Uh, I know I've chosen to live in the hood. I, I know that. I know I've forced my friend Alex to live in the hood with me and we got a big dog. And, forced. But I, I really do want to challenge everybody that's listening to ask yourself, what is the call of a Christian? And I believe it's to bring glory to God and it's to take up your cross. And that it, there is an inherent danger in that. Um, and then I just, for you moms and dads out there, what would you do to protect your kids? And you, and I know the answer is anything, anything. And so I just need you to know those moms and dads who risk everything for their kids are standing at our door knocking. And so I, I don't know what you're supposed to do. I don't know. Um, but I know you need to educate yourself. I know you need to pray. And I know you need to somehow consider what is my role as a, an image bearer to help other image bearers. Hmm. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. Does that answer all your questions? I think so. I think um, super helpful to talk through this and have um, just a conversation surrounding something that's super um, 
That's a hot topic right now. So thank you for sharing what you learned. Thank you for sharing uh, what you saw. And thanks for um, guiding us to some ways that we can get involved um, and consider at least getting involved. So yeah, appreciate you. Well, thanks, Alex. You want to end it out with our tag, my tag? If nobody's told you today that they love you, Nika and I do, but more importantly, God does. Peace out.